Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and today I'm here with our guest, Debbie Emick. She's the author of The Other Side of Perfect, Discovering the Mind-Body Connection to Healing Chronic Illness. She's also the co-creator and blogger at GoBucketYourself.com. I love that name. And she's co-host of the One Life Live It podcast with her husband, Chris. They live in Colorado with two daughters and a dog and six chickens. And they love to travel and to hike and do outdoor things. And I am so excited to hear about your story today and what you have to share with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm just so grateful to be here and have this nice conversation with you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you would take us back kind of to the beginning of your story when I know you struggled with multiple negative diagnosis and and health, and that led to depression and these kinds of things. Tell us about how you got there and and what your struggle was during that time. Sure. So about 10 years ago, after the birth of my youngest daughter, I just never really recovered. I started dealing with some significant health issues that were impacting my life. And so that led me down this road of autoimmune disease diagnosis and treatment. And at one point I was taking like nine different prescription medications three times a day and feeling worse, you know, like sick and in pain and tired and just wanting to feel better. And eventually I took back my power of my own health, like one small thing at a time. Right. So I did switch doctors, which felt like a really big step for me. I started working on my own nutrition, what I was putting in my body. I started working on moving my body, decreasing toxicities in my environment, the products I use in my house and with myself. And eventually this conversation with my rheumatologist led me to decide to step away from my job. I had been a classroom teacher for 14 years and decided to leave and stay home with my two young daughters, something I'd always wanted to do anyway, but this time thinking like that is the magic bullet, right? I'll leave my job. I'll eliminate all my stress and magically everything will get better. And what happened after that was surprising. I found myself in the deepest, darkest place I had been in, having tried everything I thought I knew to get better and still feeling sick and tired and in pain and now deeply depressed. And so everything I did from that point on was really just to claw myself out of that dark hole and never go back really for the sake of my own daughters breaking cycles there and not creating new ones. And what happened was when I began working on my mental, emotional health, physical pain that I had carried in my body for like seven years at this point began to lessen and eventually leave. And so I couldn't really deny this connection anymore between my physical health and my mental, emotional health. And so that just kept me moving forward one step at a time, working through those things as well and kind of being able to put it all together. Mm 
that's kind of a drum that I beat a lot too, is, is how we are all connected. I think too often we try to compartmentalize everything, mm-hmm. especially with the the modern way our medical system is set up of specialists of, you know, everybody looks through this little lens, but I really, you know, I agree with you that our, our body and our mind and our spirit and emotions, it's all connected together and they all influence each other. But yeah, even, you know, my situation is different and probably a lot of our listeners have situations that are different, but yeah, I can identify with so many parts of your story and that, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that others can too. One thing that you mentioned a couple of times was, you know, making a major decision, a major change, like to change your doctor or to, to step away from your job. Can you speak a little more to what that was like? Change is hard. How do you, mm-hmm. how did you overcome that momentum and, and what enabled you to make the changes you need, you felt you needed to make? Oh, that's a deeper question. I mean, each one of those took a bit of empowering myself rather than giving away my power to someone else, right? An expert with like MD after their name. And so just empowering myself to switch doctors felt like a pretty big step in and of itself. And then deciding that maybe just a pill or a diagnosis wasn't actually going to lead to health was another big step, right? So Mm -hmm. whether you have chronic illness or not, like you said, the more open I've become with what I've been going through, because for so long, I just hit it. I just pushed really hard, denied it, right? And then as I began to be more open about it, people just started to come to me. And it doesn't matter if someone has a diagnosis or not, they're burned out or sick or tired or in pain. And they're just seeking some kind of answer or support or how do I get better, right? And so that's the ultimate thing. Luckily for me, I had a husband that was there for me when things really fell and kind of noticed some things and support me in my healing along the way. And so there was this moment where I was eating like only Hershey bars and drinking only Diet Pepsi. You know, I told you how many prescription medications I was on and I was just sick all the time. And looking back at it now, it's like, oh, well, that's not surprising. But at the time I had a doctor that was like, eh, your diet doesn't really matter. It doesn't really make a difference, right? And Mm. so my husband was like, "Mm, I think let's try to do something here. Mm. And so uh, that that felt like a very big step, right? And in my mind, each time I did that, I thought like, this will be the magic bullet. This will be the magic bullet. And then as you know now, it led to this very deep, dark place where I felt, you know, just as bad and I didn't know what else to do to get better. And so what working through my mental, emotional health helped me with, finally dealing with addressing, acknowledging some trauma I had gone through in my past also helped me recognize this coping mechanism that I had developed or mechanisms out of self-protection, like a flawed sense of that, right? But it got me through what it got me through. So I had become this perfectionist, people-pleasing woman. And I had had now 30 plus years to get better and better at that as I went along. And so each thing I added, eating and exercise and whatever, just became another way to over-perfect and over-control until I was like 
over controlling my food, probably not eating enough and being very obsessive about what I ate and really overdoing it with exercise, like punishing myself. And so I couldn't really put all these things together in a loving way until I unpacked that and started to unravel those perfectionist traits, people-pleasing traits, and get to know what myself and what I had gone through and why I had developed that and sort of come to it from another way, like a loving way. So now when I, when I do those things, when I make changes or, or move toward greater health, it's in a loving way, right? I I'm loving my body through food. Mm -hmm. I love my body through movement, what feels nourishing and whatever I'm needing at that moment. So yeah. And, and again, you know, I can totally relate. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm your typical, you know, firstborn overachiever. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. <laughs> and yeah. all this stuff. And I think, you know, especially growing up as a child, a lot of things came too easy to me. You know, I got straight mm -hmm. A's or, you know, I, I was pretty well-behaved kid. So I got to this place where, oh, if something's hard or I'm not good at it right away, then something's wrong with me somehow, yeah. which is totally ridiculous. But one thing that's really helped me is just, you know, being a mother and having young children and watching them grow up. And that, that moment when you're watching the toddler take their first steps, you know, and they fall down and you don't criticize them and you don't say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get this right? You know, you're like, yeah, you did it. You took a step, yeah. you know, and you celebrate with them and they're happy and they get back up and they go again and trying to kind of recapture that mindset towards what we call failure and really just seeing more of a growth mindset towards that. But it is, it's hard. And, you know, I have a couple of little things that I say to myself when I think I got it from a scrapbooking thing years ago, but done is better than perfect. I'm like, I'm just going to get, get it done. Right. <laughs> I'm the one I get wrapped around the axle trying to make it perfect. And then I never push publish or I never hit send or whatever. And then the other one is one actually that I got from my dad. He always said when I was growing up, he's like, ah, I won't be noticed on a galloping horse. So now that I've moved to <laughs> that's Texas, that's point. even more appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah no, I won't be noticed on a galloping horse. We'll just keep going. A lot of the things that we nitpick about ourselves, other people aren't even aware of because they're busy nitpicking mm -hmm. what they don't like about themselves. <laughs> And that's a good point. Like it's, it's good to imagine like, what will the impact of this be a year from now? Mm -hmm. If it's not, why are we spending time really over worrying? For me, it was more about what am I getting from trying to show? Cause obviously I'm not perfect. I never was, I never thought I was, but what am I trying to get from trying to show this perfect facade to the world? What am I getting from that? What am I getting from trying to make everyone happy and, you know, do what other people want? Mm -hmm. And so that was really important for me to be able to move back from that and come at life from a healthier way, a more conscious way, like where I'm not unconsciously acting out these perfectionists or people pleasing traits. And another question might be like, this was my coping mechanism because it was very, societally acceptable. It made me a hard worker. It made people happy. But what if my coping mechanism was alcohol or anger or, you know, would that have been okay? And so just as important for my health and the health of my family as if my coping mechanism was something much less societally acceptable it's important for me to get to the core of that so that I can get to the core of who I am and why I'm here and how to show up 
in the world and for my family. So I'm not unconsciously creating other perfectionists or girls who have different coping mechanisms because their mom pushed her perfectionism on them. Yeah, exactly. And that's so eye-opening when we see that kind of thing then happening in our kids. And I, I, I try to be deliberate about it when I notice it, you know, when they're getting upset about something that they're not getting right the first time. Like, uh, it's kind of hypocritical of me, but I'm trying to make them, you know, better Mm. than I am. But just to say, it's okay. Nobody gets it right the first time and you're not supposed to. That's Mm -hmm. just, you know, you just keep practicing and you, you keep trying and you learn. But I'm trying to be more deliberate about instilling those kinds of approaches towards learning and messing up and learning, you know, and, and that getting better at something is a process where we can enjoy the progress rather than beat myself up if I don't do everything perfect all the time, the first time. I mean, we're all just big kids. We're just running around in these big kid clothes, you know? And so I think for me, like true healing and change at first was for my daughters because I couldn't find a worthiness within myself. Mm -hmm. But the more I stepped toward that, the more I was able to eventually just for lack of better word here, love myself, find my own internal worthiness. And so we all have these little kids in us that we can't really get to adulthood without going through some kind of thing that we need to be resilient through. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so if we can find that inner child, that little kid within us and learn to show that kid the same love that we would show our own children, Mm -hmm. we can come at whatever our roles are that we show up at as in the world from a much clearer, conscious, aware place where, you know, we're not just acting out trauma or Mm -hmm. things from our past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I catch myself in my inner thinking, saying things to myself that I would never say to another, Mm -hmm. you know, to a friend, to my child, to the neighbor's child, you know, and just to put that check on myself of, if I'm not going to talk this way to somebody else, I have no business talking that way to, to me either, mm-hmm. you know, and, but that's hard because somehow, you know, we get those tapes stuck in our head. And if for me, it was really just being deliberate about taking control of my thoughts, because if I just let them run amok, they go all kinds of crazy places. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just learning to be deliberate about what I think about, but also what I tell myself internally. Yeah, I relate to that completely. I mean, the first step is just always awareness. And for me, that meant the same thing. Like I was telling myself some horrible things that were definitely not true. And you imagine how many years you've told yourself those things before you even noticed, right? Mm-hmm. And our our inner mind will fill up as much space as we give it. And right. so, I mean, the only true thing we can do is notice it. And then once we notice, we can sort of unravel it from ourselves and our truth and and move forward with a better story that we Mm-hmm. That we actually want to believe that mm-hmm. one, you know, is the truth. That, so. that, that is true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, He will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. I think that you're right. That's the first thing is to be aware of it and then to challenge it. I kind of compared the 
our mind to like a garden. Is that really what I want growing in my garden? Mm. Or is that a weed I want to pull out and get rid of? Another topic that you hit on that I really want to discuss with you is about transparency, about being who you really are. And, you know, part of this perfectionism, I think, is pleasing ourselves. You know, I I really want to be super mom. I'm just not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I need to get over that. But there's also this aspect of pleasing others. And, you know, especially as a caretaker in our home, you know, it's it's a big part of my job is is to take care of other people. But when that crosses over then into pleasing others and losing sight of, well, what is it that actually pleases me or what is it that I want? You know, just like you mentioned, that transparency of this is who I am. Can you talk us through that a little, what you learned about transparency and how that helped in your healing process? Yeah. I mean, the first realization was that I didn't know who I was authentically. I had shown up in the world as who I thought other people wanted me to be, Mm -hmm. what I thought other people needed for so long that I really found myself in this place of just, I guess maybe at 33, 34, just saying like, I don't even know who I am. How am I this old? And I don't even know what I want, right? Mm -hmm. And so like we touched on already, the first step is just awareness. And then I did have, you know, someone in my life that I could be open with about this and what I was going through and ask for support. And for me, that was my husband. And I, I feel so grateful now, you know, that he could be that for me and with me. That took really changing the dynamics of our relationship and working through some very uneasy moments that we're still working through. But I I had to tell him what I needed and how I could use his support. And so I like to think of my intuition as God speaking to me. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it meant unraveling these layers I had put around myself to control people's perception of me, to control my own self, right? Not having to see or deal with the grittier, the darkness that I had gone through. So I had to expose that first and let myself finally acknowledge it and deal with it. And then just begin stepping toward my curiosities, like one step at a time, holding it that lightly, right? Like, what am I curious about? What am I feeling maybe... I'm led to a little bit and stepping toward it. And like you said, recovering from perfectionism, the real work then was if that didn't work out, if I lost money doing that, if I wasn't perfect at it, if it wasn't even the right step, not beating myself up about it, not feeling bad, if it didn't please other people or serve other people. And slowly over time, just trusting myself to make one small step at a time, my own intuition began to grow. And I began to grow into a person that could show up as myself in the world, right? So for me, Mm -hmm. this meant not hiding anymore, not hiding hiding behind perfectionism or people-pleasing, not hiding the shame that I had sort of just attached to from other people and hidden away in myself, just showing up being really real and really honest. And I would use the word vulnerability, I think, where you used a different word. So, gosh, that felt really icky sometimes, really hard at first and very counterintuitive. But what happened is... Like I said, my intuition, my own internal knowing, my own trust of myself began to grow. And it also showed me who in my life was there for that, could support me, was there for 
being vulnerable and real and honest and open and not just there for the perfectionist people pleaser that I had been. And so some people stepped away, but in that stepping away, it opened up a space for people who were authentic and vulnerable and wanted a real deeper connection and to support that in others. So that, you know, I, I have a community around me now of of women, of people that do support that kind of growth and authentic, vulnerable connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love that. And I I think vulnerability is a great word for that. I I said transparency, I think, which is a little bit of a weird, you know, that kind of seems like see-through, like there's no substance to it. I see the, Um, I, I see the connection. I think. Yeah. 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 But I struggled very much with that when I was struggling with depression. I, you know, I threw up the facade on the outside of I'm okay everything's fine. Yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll work it out. I'll press on. And, you know, even now as I'm much more open about my dark times today and, and talking with people because I want to help other people and I want to tell other people it's okay to not be okay. Cause I've been through those times and that delayed my healing so much by denying it, by trying to deal with it myself. And so now that I am more open about it, you know, people will come to me and say, I had no idea you mm-hmm. were hurting that bad. And I was like, well, cause I didn't let you know because I was trying to carry it alone. And we're not meant to do that. We're not meant to handle that kind of burden. So I love the community that you describe of just a group of people that you can count on to be authentic and to be okay with your authenticity. I kind of just sum it up usually in the word mess. My life is messy. (laughs) Yeah. My initial blog, the tagline was life is messy. God is good. You know, it's going to work out. It's okay. I have a big help to overcoming my hurdle of perfection was having eight children and homeschooling them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's gosh. always a mess and a noise and a thing going yeah. on and a squabble. And the, uh-huh. But it's just, it's our life and it's fun. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, those are signs of, of life and of growth. If it were yeah. neat and it were quiet and it were calm, you know, there's not a lot of life happening in there. I kind know. Of like in the winter and the snow, you know, you don't really see the life happening, but right now it's spring where I am mm-hmm. and Things are busting out all over the place. And that's just a sign of life and growth. Yeah. That's hard to remember in those loud moments. I homeschool my youngest daughter. I homeschooled both at a certain time, but yeah, it's all a gift, right? And including the depression now, which even at the time, I probably never would have given it that word. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I hid all that away from everyone else. If anyone knew what I was going through on the inside, they would have been so shocked because Mm -hmm. what I showed the world on the outside was not that. And Mm -hmm. I probably didn't even fully recognize it in myself until I came out of this metaphorical winter, like you're talking Mm -hmm. about, and into the spring. And I looked back and it was scary. I did not want to go back there because I did not want what I could foresee as the future for the future of my own family. So, Mm -hmm. but now I can look back at that and see what a gift that was. I mean, that was the eye-opening moment, you know, just like all these other things in my life. But when we hide it away in the darkness, it just grows, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. We think like if we hide it away, if we don't acknowledge it, if we don't deal with it, somehow we're moving on from it. At least I did. I thought like, Mm -hmm. I'm a positive person. I'm so forgiving. I just forgive and move on. And really what I had done is just hidden that darkness away in me for years and years. And in doing so, it wasn't that 
I dealt with it or I got rid of it or I left it behind. I just let it grow and fester until there was this reckoning, this moment. And we deal with it in some way. You know, my body showed me for years and years that I was hiding it away. And then eventually I I just had that moment that now I'm really grateful for, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more that, with, you know, when we keep it in the dark, for me, I'm, I can be the queen of denial. I'm like, mm-hmm. if I just don't think about it, it'll go away. Yeah. But even if I'm not thinking about it, you know, it's growing in the background. And I think sometimes I can speak for me personally, you know, when I'm reluctant to drag that thing into the light and deal with it is because I don't really want to look at the fullness of it. Mm-hmm. It's scary and intimidating. But when I actually do, what I always find is, oh, that wasn't as big and hairy as I thought it. But, you know, when you bring it into the light, it's so much less scary. Mm -hmm. And I just a quick example. I remember distinctly my second child, my daughter was born with a cleft palate. And, you know, this was back in 2000. Internet wasn't like a huge thing. So there was very limited information. And the pediatrician that I had didn't really know anything about it. So I really didn't know what I was dealing with. And there was one website where I could get information from a mom who had had a couple of children with a cleft palate. And she had different little tabs that you could click on. And one of them said cleft palate and mental retardation. And I was just like, I can't click on that. I can't deal with that yet. Mm -hmm. So I stuck it in the background. You know, I'm like, Later, you know, when I go through these other things of these surgeries she needs and how do I feed her and all these, you know, I can, I can deal with that later down the road. So it was months, maybe a year before I got the courage to click on that little tab. And the first sentence under that tab was, there is no connection between a cleft palate and mental retardation. In the past, people thought that there was because it impacted the child's speech. And so therefore, since they couldn't communicate effectively, they assumed there was some sort of mental issue going on there, but there wasn't. And I was like, all that time, I mean, I wasn't thinking about it actively, but it was in the back of my mind, kind of eating at me all that yes. time. And I could have just, in one click, I could have just dispelled that whole thing <laughs> yeah. right from the get-go, but I was too afraid to look at it. And to really relate to chronic illness or autoimmune disease with that, what happens you think you're not dealing with it, right? Because you're like, I can't deal with it right now. I'm going to put it back there, put it on the shelf or just forget it and move on. And what happens is your nervous system doesn't know the difference between truth and untruth, right? It just Mm -hmm. knows what our mind tells us. So each time you think about that tab, you almost didn't click on or you almost clicked on and you're just putting Mm -hmm. it away for later. Your nervous system reacts to it as though it is an immediate threat. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting those fight or flight hormones and chemicals released into your bloodstream. And over time, the more often, the more frequent those get released into your bloodstream, the more prone we are to chronic disease and chronic illness, right? So for Mm -hmm. me, this is trauma from when I am preteen, early teen, that just never, ever got spoken about, dealt with, Mm -hmm. and I thought I had moved on. But each time it triggers that response in your nervous system. So you're eventually just in running in fight or flight mode, or you're tired Mm -hmm. and you can't run at all. And so over time, it leads to lung disease, heart disease, autoimmune disease, whatever it is. And we think like, oh, this can't be true. You know, this is like some magical, mystical connection or something. And it can be, but really Mm -hmm. it's not. It's what we're doing inside our bodies because our body, 
our nervous system doesn't know the difference between truth and what we tell it. And Mm -hmm. it responds to what we tell it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I love that example because it's a perfect illustration. Instead of just dealing with it in the moment, you're actually reliving that moment over and over and over again until Mm -hmm. you do deal with it. And your body is paying the consequence for that. Exactly. The kind of the example that I use sometimes to try to explain that concept is when you're watching a movie and you know it's not real, you know they're mm. actors, you know it's fake blood or whatever. But, you know, if it's sad, you're crying. You know, if it's intense, your heart starts pounding. I mean, we have real physical, physiological responses to a thing that we know is not true. Yes. We know it's fake. <laughs> and, you know, logically in our conscious thinking, we know that's not actually happening. And yet Mm -hmm. our body still reacts as though we are in it ourselves in that moment. When we live in that state all the time, just like you said, it just, it wears us down. That's meant to be a temporary state to get away from the bear or, you know, whatever. Yes. But when we live that way chronically, that is so hard on us physically and so hard mentally and all. Yeah. (laughs) And I've I've lived it. So I know I speak from experience. And I'm just fascinated by this conversation in and of itself, because I think it puts real scientific data between the mind and body connection. Mm -hmm. And some people just really need that, you Mm -hmm. know, to be able to move toward that work. But what fascinates me, not to belabor this about it, is that in many respects, we can't control our nervous system, right? We can't say like, no, I just want my heart to beat this many beats per minute, or no, I don't want that much adrenaline dumped right now or whatever. I've we tried can't it. I've that. tried to tell my body to burn more fat, even though I'm yeah. just sitting on the couch. It doesn't work. Wouldn't that be great? But we can control our nervous system because we can do things that decrease that fight or flight response and put us more in rest, digest, heal mode. So in the one respect, we don't have control over it. But if we focus on our breathing, Mm -hmm. if we even just like sing and dance, go spend time with our chickens, there are certain things that we can do for our body to support this calming of our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And over time, the more we're able to calm our nervous system, the more our body is able to do what it's naturally designed to do, the Mm -hmm. functions that it can naturally do for itself. So anyway. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, when you have to reset your phone, when it it starts wigging out and the apps are doing something weird and you're like, ah, reset it. And yeah. then it's like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we need analogy. those those reset moments. I had an experience exactly like you described. I was actually on vacation and I got a chance to snorkel with dolphins. So I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. But I have a hang up of past trauma about water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was exciting. I was looking so forward to it. But as soon as I got in the water, I had a panic attack. And I couldn't breathe. And I, you know, had to like come up out of the water. And I kind of had to talk myself off the ledge there, going, girl, you're in the ocean with dolphins. Uh, like, get it together, woman. And I'm like, you know, you've got a life jacket on, you have a snorkel, you know, a mask, or nothing's gonna happen. But talking myself out of it logically didn't help. But when I slowed my breathing, that slowed my heart rate. And then I was able to get after it and enjoy the dolphins. And, and I was you? great for the rest of the day. But I can't change my heart rate by thinking about it, but you know, breathing is both automatic and you can control it. There's scientific words for that that are escaping me right now. But by intentionally slowing my breathing, it did slow my heart rate and got me out of that panic mode. And then I was able to enjoy the life that I was there to be living. Whereas this 
random panic attack that's not related to what was going on in the moment was trying to rob me of that. So, oh, so good. Good for you. Yeah. So, have you got in the water anymore since then? Or, yeah. So, it's actually water survival from when I was at the Air Force Academy. We had a class, and the stated objective of the class was to increase your confidence should you be in a situation where you're close to drowning. But it was actually the syllabus was kind of a new way to die by water every day. I was fine in the water before that. You know, I can swim. I'm a decent swimmer. I'm not great. And so sometimes I'm fine, but every now and then it will just pop up of, oh, this is a panic situation. I don't know if you do, but you'll have nightmares sometimes of like you're a kid and and you didn't study for the test or you can't Mm -hmm. get your locker open or, you know, these ridiculous Mm -hmm. things that we still dream about sometimes. Mine is always somebody's telling me to get in a pool and I know if I do, I'm going to die. And I always wake up before I get in the pool. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're still holding that for sure. Then, I know. Aren't you? And so, just, it's so crazy. And logically, I'm triggered. like, doesn't make sense. But you know, there's just that emotional thing to it of it doesn't matter in the water by people. And now it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like you have an emotional memory. So what's true or not true it doesn't really matter. It's just mm-hmm. that emotional memory your body holds, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. trying to say like, well, this isn't logical really doesn't help at all, does it? Right. I mean, it, it didn't not... help me at all in that moment. It was yeah. it was concentrating on my breathing is what was able to bring. Otherwise, I would I would have had to just get out of the water and sit in the boat and watch other people swim with the dolphins. Mm, you know, that's so good. That would have been disappointing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I really wanted to do it. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and and for being vulnerable and being real. There's just such healing with that in yourself. And then that encourages others to bring their stuff into the light, to step out in the light and to deal with these things. And I thank you for your courage and for your bravery, for your honesty and sharing all that, because that message will help so many others. Oh, well, that's the deeper hope for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for you for having this space Mm -hmm. and doing the good work you do so that I could show up here too. So thank you. Yes, definitely. I know that our listeners, many of them will want to connect with you. So tell us a little bit more about your book and your podcast and your blog and all the places where they can connect with you. Sure. My book is a lot about everything we've been talking about, really going back into my past, into this really wild place, and then going through this trauma and realizing how that's connected to my chronic illness now as an adult and being able to unravel all of that into this sense of health and healing, freedom, better living. The second half of the book also includes some journal prompts in a way that someone who's reading it might also be able to find healing from whatever it is they're struggling with. That is available. It's called, as you mentioned in the introduction, The Other Side of Perfect, Discovering the Mind-Body Connection to Healing Chronic Illness. You can find it anywhere books are sold online, really, or you can go to gobucketyourself.com forward slash books. And that's also where you can find the companion journal, a 30-day journal I I developed to go along with it. If you want to connect with me on socials, I really just hang out on Instagram sometimes under imperfectprogress.me. So I am perfectprogress.me. You can send me a personal message there. I'll definitely answer it. I'd love to hear from anyone. Or you can listen to our podcast. It's One Life Live It by Go Bucket Yourself. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. So... (laughs) Okay, great. That is awesome. And I will put all those links in the show notes for people who are interested in that. But again, just thank you for sharing your story. It's been such a, a blessing hearing from you today. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. 
You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want. Thank you.